We serve a good God, don't we? Amen. Well, this morning I'm excited to continue, to continue our, our, our discussion on 1 Peter. Um, it's a really a good book, and I, I'm really excited about it, and I, I'm looking forward to more and more every week. I'm looking forward to getting into what Peter has to talk to us about today. But I want to talk real quick about last week. I, I just wanted to highlight a couple things. Last week we, sp- we spoke much about the suffering theme of the letter. Suffering is what Peter focuses on quite a bit. And I hope that everyone was really able to pick up on some of the key points from last week's message. And, um, but just, uh, just to review for those that, that weren't here possibly, or, or just to review to keep the theme alive and relevant as we continue to study Peter. But suffering is a part of living in this world. You are going to suffer. Everyone is impacted by it, and it is unavoidable. Suffering is just as much a part of living as breathing is, and just so you know that. Suffering also has a purpose. According to verse 7, tells us that one of the purposes or main purposes of suffering is to prove the genuineness of our faith so that it may result in praise, glory, and honor to, Lord, to the Lord Jesus when, when Jesus is finally revealed. We also talked that suffering is not the original plan of God. It was not God's plan for us to suffer. But it was sin. Sin is the result of suffering. It was the willing choice of Adam and Eve. And thus, because of that choice to suffer, all mankind suffers now as a result because they chose to willfully sin and go against God's mandate. So all this amounts to the very important fact, the very important fact, this is not an opinion, this is a fact, that God is not responsible for the suffering that happens in this world. It is, God's not, it is not God's fault, nor is it his problem. It was not his intention for man to ever choose to disobey. It was not his intention for that. So as we understand that, it will help us, I pray, help us from pointing the finger at God when things don't go right in my life. And when we look at the things in this world, we don't look at it and say, why, God? But we'll look at it and get a little different approach to it. The most important part, part of that message last week, and I hope it was communicated clearly, and this is the point that I believe can be a great motivator for us. When we come to our temptations, because we, do our, we, we are tempted and we are going to come up with those temptations to sin, it's going to happen. But when I understand that the suffering of this world is caused by sin, and every time that I sin, I'm feeding the suffering machine. I'm feeding into it. And so that I hope now that when I have that direct choice come to me to sin or not sin, should I go there or should I not go there? Should I say that or should I not say that? Should I do that or should I not do that? When it comes down to my choice, because we, many times, probably most of the time, we have an intentional choice to make. Do I sin or not sin here? Do I take that step towards the world or do I not? When I have that intentional choice, I would pray that you would look at sin as the reason for the suffering and you would say, no, I do not want to buy into that suffering element. I'm not going to let sin control my flesh. Janine talked about it in Sunday school today, how we have to take control of this thing right here, whether it is in anything, whether it's in weight loss, whether it's in a habit, 
whether it's in a, a mind, a way of thinking, an attitude, whatever it is, I need to take responsibility for my actions. And when I have the, the willful and intentional point of whether I go, I'm going to fall into that area of sin or walk in that area of repeated sin, I should see that as a, as a motivator to know that sin causes suffering. And so that next time I see that, I should, be able to, I should be able to see sin as the reason for sickness, sin as the reason for poverty, sin as the reason for child abuse, sin as the reason for abortion, sin as the reason for divorce and split homes and dysfunctional families, sin as the reason for cancer and all diseases. So that when I see that, I don't want to walk in that area of sin because I see what sin created. And hopefully it will help us to see the fact that I can walk in a life above that. We are going to suffer as a result of sin. Just so you know that, you are going to suffer as a result of sin. That's a given. But we do not have to sin intentionally. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to slip and fall. I'm not saying that we're perfect. But that intentional factor, that intentional mode of sin, we do not have to buy into that. You can live above that. You can live above that. And when I see it this way, I should help me to say no to sin when I'm tempted by it in the future. And that's what I hope you picked up out of that sermon last week. And I hope that's what you're picking up right now because I don't know how to say it any more clearly. I hope it's coming across clearly. But when I have, an, when I have the choice to lie or to cheat or to steal or to gossip or to grumble or to indulge in any kind of immoral behavior or to do anything at all, any habitual thing that would not bring glory to Jesus, I pray that I would see that as sin and I pray that I would look at that and say, no, I don't have to go there. I do not and I will not by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I will not allow myself to go with that attitude anymore. I will not gossip I will not slander. I will not talk badly about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will not have any type of a, of a, in any type of a situation in my life that I can control and willfully and, and, and indulgently go towards sin. So I hope that we get that clear. I hope that's what this message is about because I believe that's one of the things that suffering is about. I think suffering helps us see sin for what it is. It's ugly and it's not fun and it's not pretty. Amen. All right, now let's look at the rest of our study. Let's get into 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going we're gonna to get eight through t- verses 8 through 12 today is my plan. Let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. You might want to open your Bible, if you have a Bible, and read along with me. It's on the screen as well. But if you have a Bible, it's nice to have it because you can actually write in your Bible. You can't write in the screen. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels look or long to look into these things. 
There's a lot to talk about. Verses 8 through 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, we have to keep in mind here that Peter was one of the lucky guys that got to walk with Jesus. He was one of the few that, that, that got to live up close and personal to Christ. For three years, he walked with him as his inner circle. He just didn't see him off on some distant mountaintop and said, oh, there's Jesus over there. No, no, he walked with him. He, he ate with him. He, he spent time with him. He heard Jesus snore at night. Do you, do you think Jesus was a backsleeper? Or do you think he slept on his side? Do you think Jesus slept on his back? Or do you think, you, do you think see, because if you sleep on your back, you snore. And I wonder if Jesus snored. Now, I know it's silly, but the reality is that's his humanity. That's what, he, that's what he was, and Peter got to see that. Peter got to see him up close and personal. I hope you don't think I'm irreverent by saying something like that. Jesus, if I'm not being irreverent, I snore. The point is, Jesus saw him, and the people that he was writing to did not have the opportunity to see him. So for, and, and neither do you and I. So it's important, though, that... Peter needs to say, guys, listen, I had the experience to see him, but that doesn't make me any more special than you. Because your Father in heaven loves you just as much as he loves me, even though you didn't get to walk with Jesus. The walk of a person like that is completely on faith. We walk today completely in faith that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. So it's crucial. It's just so important that we have a solid foundation for the faith that gives us the belief in who Jesus is. That's why we're talking today. The, the, if I was to title the service or the sermon, I would say faith, the solid foundation. We must have a foundation for what we believe. Faith that is given to us by reading God's word and believing. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. For we live by faith, not by sight. Romans ten seventeen. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. See, it's the faith that comes through reading and studying God's word that gives us the ability to look and to live in this broken and fallen world with its many devices to distract us and keep us unfocused, it is the faith that comes through studying God's word that allows us to zero in on who Jesus really is and what that really means to me and me personally and you personally and then as corporately as a church. We need to stay focused on the things of God's word which is our strength, which is our foundation, rather than all the other voices that come from the world that would distract us, would pull us away from that, that would give us reasons not to have faith in this solid foundation. So once again, looking at God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, this is how we do it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
I fix my eyes on Christ. I can't see him today. In my physical eyes, I can't see him. But my spiritual eyes can be very attentive to everything that's happening in the world that I don't see. Everything that's happening. There are angels in this room today that are just as real as you and I sitting in these chairs. And there are demons just as real as those angels. And they are in this room today, and we need to make sure that we're focusing our eyes on things of heaven, on things above the things that I see, because everything that I can see today is going to pass away. Everything I see is going to be gone in a matter of years. I don't know how many, or days for that matter. I don't know how many. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I do know that eternity is forever, and I do know that that's more real. We are seeing now through dimly lit eyes. And we, it's, it's, it's foggy for us. We can't see eternity clearly. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day where we will see it crystal clear. That's where we need to be focusing our eyes today. So for us, today, we, to believe in, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus takes faith. And we must never allow the things of this world to distract us from that. You see, it's important for us because we can get a little bit rambunctious in our worship style. We can get a little bit crazy sometimes. Pentecostal people can be seen as the weirdos. Okay? And, and, and here's the deal. It's okay if you're weirdos about Jesus. It's okay. You don't have to be, but it's okay if you are. But it's more important than that we have to have our, we need to make sure that we have a solid foundation that we can base our emotions on. See, we're, th we're often thrown into the category of unbiblical people. We're not biblically educated people because we allow our emotions to take over sometimes when those that are more logical, ones that are more based in Scripture, they, they go more with what the Scripture says and they're more staunch and they're more they're, they're more formal. They would never even think to say something that Jesus snored. They would never, and see, and we're, we're looking at then as irreverent, we're looking at people that we play in the house of God rather than coming in reverently and quietly and forlornly like God is all serious. Now, God can be serious, but God can also be a lot of fun. God can also be a lot of laughs. I'm sure Jesus had a great sense of humor, and I'm sure he could tell a good, clean joke. It didn't have to be dirty to get a laugh. I'm sure Jesus had a great sense of humor. I, I'm sure that he's, I'm sure he, he laughed quite a bit. I got to imagine that as they're walking down those rocky roads over there in, 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 in Israel, that when one of the disciples, when he'd sleep and, see him slip and fall, I got to imagine Jesus got a good chuckle over that. I don't know about you, but I laugh when people fall. It's kind of fun to see how it happens. And I'm, it's not mean, but I've got to imagine Jesus had a good sense of humor about things of, of this life. He could take things lightly and not get so serious about things all the time. And we need to lighten up, but at the same time, we need to have a good, solid foundation of what we believe. And it's important that we understand that so that we can have a Bible-centered, focused education that we can then experience the joys of God and at the same time go back to, this is why I have the joys of God, because I know what God's Word says. I'm educated in God's Word. I study the Word, and I know that my foundation is clearly based on the faith of who Jesus Christ is and not just on some man's emotional aspect of who he is. And I also got to say that when I, as a man, a shell of flesh and blood and product of this world called dust, when the Creator 
touches me, I'm going to jump. I am going to jump a little bit. It's like me putting my finger in a 120-volt outlet and not jumping. I, I, I would give anybody an opportunity to do that. And if you can do that without jumping, then you're a better man than I am. But i got to tell you what, when the Holy Spirit touches a person, there's going to be a change. And for those that are really against the change that comes through the Holy Spirit, I don't know how to say that. I, I don't know what to say. I don't want to call you a liar. I don't want to call you something that you're not. I don't know. But I am just saying that when God touches me, he has the power to do whatever he wants to do with me. Now, here's the deal. We can manage it. We can manage it. We don't have to allow God to do the things. And so, therefore, I think we are just managers of God's power. Some people manage it more freely and say, Lord, you can do whatever you want with me. Others are saying, God, you can do only so much. Well, okay. So, yeah, that's okay. But I just want you to know that it's okay for you to um, let the Holy Spirit do a mighty thing. It's okay for you to get excited. It's okay for you to um, wave a flag. It's okay for you to dance. It's okay for you to be um, slain in the Spirit. It's okay. If that's the way the Lord moves in you, then just do it. I'm okay with that. Amen. First Peter 1, 8-9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Verse 9, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith has an end result. Faith has an end result, and it is called salvation. Ultimately, our faith is rewarded in the end as we live it out today. If I'm living out my faith, there will be a reward as I live it out. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the benefits today of having faith, because we can. There's great benefits today and advantages that come to a person that's truly living out their faith. Yet, the real reward comes in the end. The key to the salvation that, that comes to us now and then is that faith is alive and growing. Faith is alive and growing. It's not stagnant and dead. F salvation does not come by a faith that once was and is no longer active. Faith has to be alive. Salvation does not come by a faith that once was and no longer alive. We're not, we're not saved by a one-time experience of what happened a long time ago. That doesn't save us what happened yesterday. What's saving us is a continual, living, growing faith in Christ. We are not once saved, always saved, and then live your life the way you want to live it. Faith that saves is alive and growing and evident in the lives of people. There's evidence, there's fruit. This is the solid foundation of faith that makes our relationship with Jesus more than just religion, but it is a growing, active element in our life that says I'm getting closer to Jesus every day because my faith is getting stronger every day. The scripture says that you are, a, you are receiving the result of your faith. You are receiving. Receiving means that we are in the present and future tense. We're receiving it because it's the result of an ongoing faith, not a once was faith. A saving faith is a living faith resulting in a living hope that gives us a promise and assurance of eternal life. And that 
gives us an, an inexpressible and glorious joy. See, when faith was once was, there's not much joy there. When faith, when, when faith was what I did when I was 12 years old and I'm 52 now, 40 years ago I had faith, well, there's not much joy there left. But when my faith is active, alive, because I got it rejuvenated last night or yesterday at that women's conference or I got it rejuvenated during worship and all of a sudden my faith is stronger than it was yesterday, that gives me joy. And that gives me an inexpressible joy that I can't even express it. And that's the joy of the Holy Spirit when you can't even express it. How, how can we read God's word that says that we have an inexpressible and glorious joy and then sit here like this? Say, thank you, Jesus. That's not inexpressible joy. Now, I'm not saying that you have to feel it all the time. But when the, but when the joy comes, get your arms out of your chest and get them in the air and, and, and say, Jesus, it's inexpressible. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me today. It's inexpressible, the faith that I have that brings salvation and eternity. It's unexpressible. Man, how do, we not, how, how do we not have that and still call ourselves Christians? A person today that chooses to love Jesus without ever seeing him based on a faith is a person that has a joy that they cannot understand and a relationship that they cannot describe or understood by a person that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus. You see, yeah, but a person that doesn't have that, uh, that relationship, I cannot explain it to somebody in the world and they understand it. They cannot understand what I'm experiencing. It, it's, it's foreign to them. It's nonsense. It's foolishness to them. Unless I have that experience for myself, you, I, can't exp I, can't, I can't understand what you have. It's something that comes... It's activated by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the world cannot know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, We do, however, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. This is something that is a mystery that the world just cannot understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, just a few verses later in that same chapter. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So the world just can't get it. However, God has created us in a way that he's formed us with a, an emptiness that only is fillable by his presence. No matter what we try to do to fill it up with something else. I can try to fill it up with all times of entertainment and all other forms of things. But there is one thing that can fill that emptiness within me and that is God created and that is the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that gives me this inexpressible joy. Larry Osborne said it best on Wednesday night, in our study on Wednesday night. He said, we cannot expect the lost person to live like they aren't lost. We can't expect someone living in the world to live like a Christian if they're not a Christian. They're not going to live like you and I. If we're truly Christians and they're not, they're not going to get it. They're just not. A person in this world that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit cannot even begin to understand that joy that we have. 
joy that comes when our mother's suffering with cancer or we have a job loss or we have huge financial loss or whatever the, whatever the bad thing is in your relationships with people or whatever, the world can't understand it when we have joy in the midst of it. But I can through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. So don't be too surprised when that happens. Then we continue to read about in 1 Peter. Open your Bible again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. We're going to talk about how even the prophets, even the prophets that wrote the scriptures didn't understand what they were writing. Listen to this. It's really interesting. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those things who have, been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. All right, what Peter's saying here is that the Old Testament writers would write what they, what, what they were inspired to write and then they would read their own stuff and try to figure it out. <laughs> they would proofread what they just wrote and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't really know what was going on. They were just being obedient to write what the Spirit inspired them to write. How much faith do you think it took for them to do that? How much faith do you think it took for them to speak what God was saying to them and they had really had no idea what they were talking about? If that doesn't require faith, I don't know what does. Think about Isaiah. Think about Isaiah writing chapter 53. Open your Bible. Get your Bible. And we're going to read this. But we're going to pretend we're Isaiah. All right? We're going to pretend that we are Isaiah and we are in the presence of the Lord and we're going to, uh, we feel this message coming. We, we, we felt this before. We know what it is to be the prophet because we know when God moves on us that something's coming, that we don't know what's coming, but we know something's coming, right? So we're just in the presence of the Lord and we're just saying, okay, okay, Father, speak to me. Because you've got to tell me, you've got to know, guys, these men were just men like you and me. They are not supermen. They were just men that walked and talked and ate and had stomach problems and had to go to the bathroom and everything like you and I do. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was a, a sense of power that came. All right, now you're Isaiah. Okay, and this is before Jesus came. This was hundreds of years before Jesus was even thought of. And all of a sudden, here comes this message. In fact, you've got to turn back to Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13. All right, if you have your Bible, follow. If you don't, just close your eyes and listen. Pretend you're Isaiah. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and exalted highly. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off in the land of the living. For the transgression, transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Oops. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet, he, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now imagine what Isaiah must have thought. Because he wrote that in past tense. He wrote that like Jesus already did that. Did you see the tense that was written? He wasn't talking about what was going to happen. He wrote it like it already did. That's faith, folks. That's faith that gives us an inexpressible joy when we can read what the prophets wrote and they were reading it like it already happened and, and, and it, just, it just had to blow him away. I can't imagine what he must have thought. What in the world does this all mean? See, when we look at Bible, this is where our solid foundation comes from. The point of this is the Bible comes together like a big puzzle. There were there's 66 books written by over 40 authors over a span over a period of over 1500 years. 40 different men from fishermen to shepherds to kings to all kinds of walks of life, had no knowledge of each other. Some were dead long before the other one even wrote. And the books were not connected at the time. They all came together now after we put it all together as this big jigsaw puzzle and all it fits now. It all works. One book supports the other book. One prophecy reveals what something really happened. If that's not a solid foundation, I don't know what is. It's an amazing fact. If it, would, if, it would, if it would have been one person writing that, it would have been pretty amazing. If one person could sit down over his lifetime and write the Bible, we would have thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. But 40 men over 1,500 years, if that's not solid foundation, if that doesn't give us a, a, the reason why we're doing this, Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have been told to you by, these, by those who have preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit. And even the angels now look into these things. Even the angels. 
You know, there's a lot of mystery in God's Word. And maybe we're wondering, why did God make it so mysterious? Well, here's one thought about that. And that is that the reason possibly God could have done it, if I look at Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and through 26, if I read this in the Living Living Translation Bible, it says this, that this is God's plan of salvation for you Gentiles, kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as God commands, this message is being preached everywhere so that people all around the world will have faith in Christ and obey him. Is it possible, do you think, that possibly it was written in a mystery so that Satan wouldn't understand what was going on? Because Satan was not omniscient. He did not know what God knew. So if, if the mysteries were there, I got to believe that when Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, I got to believe Satan thought he really won. He didn't really know because he didn't have the Bible in its entirety. He didn't know what was going to happen in the New Testament. He didn't know. So the mysteries of God's word maybe kept him a bay. Not that that was going to stop God because Satan is no match for God anyway. But it's, just to think, it's interesting to think that way, that the mysteries of God's word might have been to keep the devil and his demons at bay to some degree. So we're, we can just recognize that, that there, is, there is mystery there, but it's revealed to us now by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can have an inexpressible joy and a salvation so that we know that it is not going to be surprised what the end of the book is. The end of the book is written, and we know we win. And we know we're going to celebrate that way so that we can have our faith established as a solid foundation. Faith, it may be, may be hard for you and I to, to accept sometimes. Maybe that, that concept. But I believe that when we can really trust the Lord, really trust the Holy Spirit to give us His direction, give us His input, that we don't have to believe in the things that I can taste, touch, smell, or hear, or see. I have to have that ability to look at God's Word and say, you know, I just take what you tell me by faith, and I'm going to ask you to make it alive to me. When you read God's Word, ask the Holy Spirit to bring it alive, and He will bring, page, he will bring the words off the page, and they'll jump out to you. And you'll see a new a new word. You'll have a new song, as Jackie said earlier, because the Holy Spirit is that real. If the Holy Spirit could give it once in mysteries, understand how much better he can give it today in its completion. And it's an awesome thing. So we have a solid foundation. I know that Jesus Christ is alive today. I know he died. He rose. 500 people saw him in, back alive again. And I'm going to put my faith in Jesus because I know and my faith is secure. So this morning, we're going to close by having communion today. And that we're going to celebrate the life and death of Christ as our solid foundation because we know, because we know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And he's going to come back and he's going to live again here on this earth eventually. We're going to go to heaven first. We're going to spend some time with him in the new heaven or in the heaven until the new heavens and the earth come down. And we're going to have, a, we're going to have eternity of joy and great celebration. So we're going to start right now by celebrating his life. Jackie, would you come and prepare our hearts for communion this morning? Now, I know that this may not be the 
rah-rah type of a message that would get us all fired up for an altar call, and that's fine. But I do hope that this is the kind of message that brings faith stronger in our life and, and more relevance to us to know that there is now no question. There is no question when I believe what I believe, I know through the word of God with faith believing that it is true. I can remember when my mom was in her last few days and, uh, you know, the devil's so, so mean that he plays in the hearts and minds of people even on her deathbed. And I can remember I, my mom was weak and she was, could hardly speak and in her whisper, I could tell she was trying to ask me a question. I said, Mom, what is it? And I really got down so I could just hear it. She goes, is it true? Is it true? And it broke my heart. But I said, Mom, yes. It's true. It's all true, Mom. That faith that you have, that faith that you lived with all your life, it is absolutely true. The devil will just play games. He will bring questions to you. Don't be surprised when he does. But look back at him and say, you know, devil, it is true. <laughs> it's true. This morning, let's experience this as we come to the, together. And would you come up to the front with us as we do and just celebrate communion with us? You do not have to be a member of this church. All you have to do is have Jesus in your life. If Jesus is in your life, then communion is for you because we're celebrating the life and death of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, maybe as you're coming, maybe there's some questions in your mind. Maybe you're questioning, am I really saved this morning? Am I really qualified this morning? Can I just encourage you this morning to examine your hearts. It's the right thing to do. Examine your heart this morning. And here's the answer. The answer is you're saved if you've asked Jesus to forgive you. If you've asked Jesus to forgive you as recently as right now, <laughs> he will forgive. He is faithful to do that. And he is faithful to give you an assurance of your salvation. You may not feel saved all the time. Can I just tell you that as well? You may not feel saved all the time, but if you have faith, and if you believe on your faith, and if you trust that more than your feelings, you can rest assured that you have eternity placed as your place in heaven forever. We have to take back the ground that the enemy has stolen from us. He's taken lots of ground in our minds. And it's time that we see it for what it is. We are saved and we are redeemed and we are going to heaven if Jesus Christ is your active faith. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cracker that you have in your hand is representative of the body of Christ. Jesus willingly gave it up for you and I. Willingly gave it up for you and I so that you and I could have this day of remembrance. 
just close your eyes with me, if you will, please, and just ask yourself the question, do I really appreciate this? Do I really appreciate what it means to have the body of Christ broken for me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your willingness to die, to be broken for me. And it gives me joy. It gives me a peace in the midst of all my stuff. But I say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you partake together? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. The new covenant. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That new covenant is what gives me life. That new covenant is, is what gives me new life today, a life that never, ever ends. See, we are eternal people. But your eternity is only based in heaven if you accept this new covenant. Otherwise, you'll have eternity in hell. You're going to have eternity one place or the other. And by accepting this new covenant and taking this seriously for what it really means... It gives us that assurance and that peace and that glorious joy, inexpressible. Would you lift us up and just look at it? it signifies life. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you one more time for sending your son. I know it was a sacrifice. In fact, I really can't even begin to appreciate the sacrifice that it was but I thank you for it. Maybe someday when you and I are together, you can kind of give me a glimpse of really what it was like in heaven when Jesus left. But for right now, I just accept it by faith, a solid faith based upon your Holy Scripture, based upon that assurance that I have that's in my heart. The Holy Spirit gives me that assurance to know that it is true and that my life is truly based upon the blood of Christ. And I accept that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake, partake together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, we love you today. We just ask you to go with us now as we go to our homes. Lord, help us to dwell on the foundation that is solid. Help us to recognize you in all areas of our life. Help us to accept that. Help us to walk in it. Help us to protect it. Help us to nurture it. Help us to make it alive. Bring it to us, Holy Spirit, in its fullness of power and strength. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.